the rubber always meets the road at some point. The game will always get hard and there will always be somebody better. And um, how do you handle that stuff is, I think, what differentiates. It's not in hockey. It's not how good your toe drag is. It's not how hard your shot is. It's, it's like when things get tough, can you handle it? All right. Really glad to, to be hanging out with my cousin, Ryan Carter. Appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us today. To give everybody a little bit of background on Ryan, and maybe you can help me fill in some gaps here. I just kind of hopped on your LinkedIn and just personal knowledge. But uh, currently working with the Minnesota Wild and Valley Sports North as the television color analyst, a content contributor at wild.com, and then the podcast host of Wild on 7th. And prior to that, as most people probably know, you are uh, an athlete with nearly 500 games, predominantly with the Minnesota Wild, the New Jersey Devils, and the Anaheim Ducks. And you were part of the Stanley Cup championship playoff run with the Anaheim Ducks in 2007. Prior to that, Minnesota State University, Mankato, and um, I guess a, a key part of why we're here today, family, lovely wife, Erin, and three daughters. And you just mentioned to, to Ben, maybe the, say the ages again, it was 11. Yeah, we've got 11, 11 9, and 7 years old. So they're... Uh... They're, uh, they're testing us right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I, uh, I stuck with two myself. I didn't want to go from man coverage to zone. So, <laughs> so that was kind of the, the premise there. And it sounds like you, I guess I, I wasn't aware of this, but you turned 40 in seven days. Yep. So that's a big milestone there. Got any big plans? No, I don't. So I was just telling Ben, we, uh, my oldest daughter's birthday is August 2nd. Mine's August 3rd. Then my middle daughter's August 5th. So I'm sandwiched in the middle of their birthdays, which is kind of a great thing because I think they're early on in your life, you're excited for your birthday. And then the older you get, you become less excited for your it's birthday. just another day. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I, I really don't have one. I, I feel like I'm still stuck at like, <laughs> you know, 29 years old when you know, we had the kids. But um, no big plans for 40. No, absolutely not. Nice. Um, that I know of. I, suppose I, I, I have say. to imagine your birthday gets downplayed a little bit with uh, being the sandwich there with the two kids that obviously still very much value their birthday, I'm sure. So. And like I said, it's a, it's a positive thing for me because after a while you want to stop counting your birthdays, right? <laughs> yeah, it's all downhill. Awesome. Well, yeah, uh, I, I'm really excited about just having a conversation with you today because as I alluded to before we started recording, this is a little different angle than we've taken thus far. And obviously the podcast is still pretty new, but we've primarily been looking at insights and wisdom from people that have achieved some you know, degree of success in the business world, Sure, it'll be very interesting to, you know, speak to someone that's achieved significant, you know, success in the world of athletics, uh, you know, obviously ice hockey here in this case. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but I, I have to imagine in order to achieve what you achieved, that there was a significant amount of effort and persistence and work ethic. When did that start? Did that come from your parents and you know, how did you, how, how did you maybe go back to your childhood and tell yeah. us a little bit about how you got into ice hockey and how that. Yeah. The, the, there'd be a lot to unpack there, but I do think that there's parallels and I, I don't know, I mean, uh, into business and stuff now, but the, I think the difference and may, I could be entirely wrong, but I knew that I was chasing a dream and wanted something at an early age. Right. And you knew I was prepped and told all the time that make sure you have a plan B, be ready, and everybody makes it, you know, this R- and that. Roughly what age was was that when you started to get well, that messaging? 
so I I actually believe that I made a I made a terrible mistake. Is I believe I actually believed everybody. I trusted everybody that said like, you know, it's it's really hard. One in a million make it. You know, your chances of you being good or the guy is very slim. I believed all those people. So you could go back and I've talked to old agents and I don't recall the conversations and. Uh, I was 18, 19 years old, like legit prospect, like guys are playing the NHL at 18 years old. But uh, they're like, hey, do you have representation? You know, back then they didn't have the NIL or the other stuff, you know, where players got paid. So NCAA rules were strict. You know, you couldn't you couldn't have an agent. It had to be a family advisor. Even titles would get you in trouble. Um, you wouldn't have to send a dollar his way or vice versa. But um I'd have agents then say, hey, you, you want representation, family advisor, whatever it is. And I'd say, oh, man, I'm good. I don't need, I don't need a, an agent right now. I'm just I'm trying to play hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was pretty easy for me. Again, on one front, uh, I'm a little upset with myself that I allowed people or the outside world to influence me. You know, I trusted those people, and I, I believe that those people cared for me. And it's not like there's one individual I'm thinking of. It's it's teachers, it's coaches along the way. It's I had a football coach. Uh, I had to pick football or hockey at one point, one game. And I was like, hey, coach, I'm not going to make it to like it's football season. I said, but hockey's my game. And, he's like, he's, and he said something to the effect of hockey's, you know, like, like you really think you're going to make it? Like sarcastically, he's like, it's football season. Let's play football. And I was like, no, I'm going to play hockey. Uh, he he chased me down years later, like after the Stanley Cup party. He's like, dude, this held, I held on to this for a long time. I'm so sorry for wow. telling you that wow. I didn't think that you would actually make it. And then you you did. He's like, uh, wow. you, t- you taught me a lesson 10 years later, and I've, I've regretted it ever since. I need to get this off my chest. Sorry to do that to you. Um, but and th- that wasn't a bad thing. But back to what you were saying before, there's parallels. Like you perseverance, you don't really know. You, you listen to people. You trust people put your faith in it, you know, you fail, you succeed, you fail, you succeed. Uh, But I I would say that for me, I was very fortunate because I was just was able to keep moving forward, you know, and I I never really had to move backwards and um, slowly, but surely it was next, next step, next step, next step. And then boom, you're there. So, so there's all these people telling you that it's a long shot, one in a million chance, you know, you're not going to make it to the big show, but yet you kept, pushing forward is there anything was it just for the love of the game or you still you still hung on to the, the fact yeah. that there was a chance there or like what what kept you moving forward well and I, I don't mean to be arrogant but i was good enough to where i could see that i was good you know like you you look at the impact of the game you see the score sheet like you know that you can play and then you, you make the jump to the next level you compete with those guys and you're not going to dominate right off the bat but then you realize you can compete and then mentally you start like believing you start, you start doing things a certain way. Um, and then I, I always trusted my coaches too. Like the, I was all in on what the coaches wanted. Um, I'm not throwing shade on any of them. Um, but there, there are other things that I think that they could have coached or said and done and things like that. But I remember junior right off the bat, I'd never fought before. And, uh, I go to junior camp and we're going to the buck bowl. And coach just says, hey, there's going to be a ton of college scouts there. Uh, they like it. They like it when guys play tough. Uh, so if you want to fight, guys, go ahead. Says to the whole team. I go out on the ice. Well, four minutes in, some kid says, you want to fight? I said, no clue. I was like, sure. <laughs> Why not? Sure. So they said that's what they want to see. I'll do it. Uh, so I fought a guy. And 
I remember hitting him in his face countless times. Neither one of us knew what we were doing. Didn't know anything. I just had seen it on TV. So I was like, this is what you do. And punch, punch, punch. And I'd hit him a ton with my right hand. And I felt it. And again, I had no experience. Like, like does this do anything? I don't, I don't really know. But I had my head talked and I look over the top of my shoulder to see like what's going on. <laughs> These punches I'm throwing. And then a punch comes over my elbow, hits me right in the nose. And that was a, ter- <laughs> that was a terrible idea. Uh, but so it, it's like a, what I didn't know at the time, too, is that like, there's statements. Um, th- that was a huge statement. And I had no clue. But just the willingness to do what somebody asked you to do or suggested you do, uh, you instantly then become a guy that that coach likes, trusts, believes in, gives opportunity to. And I would say I was naive. I didn't know that at the time. Just willing to do whatever it took. And if that's what it was, then I I was willing to do it. And um, I I think I left that game with a broken nose. I was out eight weeks. I cut the tendon. I hit his teeth, cut the tendon in my ring finger, surgery. A million stories when it comes to that. But, um, yeah, and it's just that's kind of how it went from then on. It was was probably accept authority, you know, like, understand it be all in on authority but then there's also times you had to challenge it and sometimes you had to challenge it and what that looked like too but yeah it's it was hard that's the hardest part in sport like i think when i talk to people about their kids and stuff like what you can do on the ice or in any sport that you play um, that so many people are so good so skilled the differentiators are like the people that can handle things when it gets tough and how do they get better when it gets tougher and how can they handle somebody saying no or somebody saying you're not good enough or taking opportunity from you? What's your response? And um, the rubber always meets the road at some point. The game will always get hard and there will always be somebody better. And um, how do you handle that stuff is, I think, what differentiates. It's not in hockey. It's not how good your toe drag is. It's not how hard your shot is. It's it's like when things get tough, can you handle it? I think that there's... Ben, I'm sure you would agree. Like, there's definitely some correlations to oh, yeah, the business there. Like, just how do absolutely. you react in the face of adversity? Absolutely. And I know you've been, there's been a few ups and downs. I had yeah. a few ups and downs in my yeah. business. Like, you need to double down and work harder and push through it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's really interesting to think about that in terms of parents with kids in sports mm-hmm. beyond working on the skills. What are the intangibles, you know, that they, need to try and instill in their kids for them to be successful and get to that highest level of sport. Um, that's really just an interesting concept, I guess I hadn't really thought about. Cause yeah, at some point that's going to be the differentiator when the yeah. skill level is so high, yeah. you go out there and do what you're asked. And that's what I started following the wild when you joined the team. And yeah, I think predominantly you were on the penalty kill, you know, special teams was, I think, I don't mean to, you know better than I do, but it seemed like that was where you got used a lot and you were able to contribute to the team in a way that you know, maybe other players weren't able to. Right. Yeah. You got to find your niche and stuff like that too. And um, I'm not like a sports psychologist when it comes to parents or kids or anything else either, but um, I wholeheartedly believe like I could solve a lot of my kids' problems on the field or amongst their peers and all this stuff throughout their sport. But I think you're doing them a disservice if you do solve those problems because, again, it, there will come a point, if you're good enough, where dad can't solve your problems. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be so far into mm-hmm. being used to dad solving your problems yep. that you won't know how. Yeah, 
you know, and, and then that will be the moment you fail. And as a parent, I feel like I'd be helping my kid for so long. And then at some point it just switches to yep. where now I actually hurt them yep. by not allowing them to struggle at yep. times. So yep. um, that's the way I view the sport. Set, set the biggest possible goals, goals bigger than you think you can achieve. And I believe this and I could be wrong in my concept, but I say you just by nature, then raise your floor. So if you set an achievable goal and then you achieve it, that's, that's your ceiling. Yep. You know, now you could potentially set a greater goal and pass that initial goal. Right. And you'd still be let down because you didn't reach your maximum yep. goal, yep. but your floor would then be higher than your previous peak, yep. you know? And I it's think, like, yeah, that's it's, an interesting psychology. So I tell kids all the time, like yeah. set the biggest goals, yeah. set the biggest goals. Yeah. Because the, you in the end, when it's done, when it, the dust settles, you will be proud of what you've accomplished. I promise you. Yeah. But set the biggest possible goals. The one thing you don't want to do is think you left a little bit on the ice in the classroom, wherever it is. You know, like the last thing you want to think is, man, I, 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 only, I said I wanted to score 30 goals. I did. Could I have got 40? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like set that goal. Mm -hmm. And if you fail, you get 38. Mm -hmm. That's eight more than the 30 goals you wanted, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Sounds like an easy concept to say in words, but yeah. um, I will hardly believe that yeah. every kid should not just say, and I'll tell this story. So I was playing with Marty Brodeur in New Jersey, and he's the best goalie that's ever played. And uh, it's different. You, 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 you scored your first two goals on him, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It's up there in the score sheet. <laughs> um, it, you, you cross these different people, and every once in a while you, you meet somebody that is just great. You know, and you're like, that person is different. And I'd say he was different. And he was not motivated by money, by fame, by anything. He wanted to be in the net every single night. Um, and he wanted to be good every single night. And actually, it helped him a ton. But his main motivator was to be the greatest that I ever played. Mm. I'd never had that thought once in my life. Mm. I never thought. I want to be the greatest that's ever played. And for me, that's a little disappointing. I didn't realize that until I was 30 something years old that some of you know, some of a biscuit, I, I, I missed that opportunity. Why didn't I think that, mm. you know, maybe I, I, I can tell you with a high degree of certainty, I wouldn't have been the greatest that ever played. Um, do you think you would have been let down? I never thought it. If yeah. that was your mindset, do you think you would have been let down knowing you weren't the best that's ever played? No, but that's what I mean is I think I would, you, when the dust settles, you're proud. Yeah. You might have been better than you, you were. Absolutely true. Yeah. And at the end and of the day, you might have, yeah. I'd I personally would rather be let down not achieving the greatest goal ever achieved. Yeah. Than to have thought, could I have done more? Yeah. You know, that's almost more haunting to me than yeah. for sure. It is. That's interesting. One of the things I wanted to go back to in your, your question, you know, you said you were like a little bit upset that these people told you, you know, hey, you, you, you can't make it or one in a million or whatever. Do you think that lit a little bit of fire under you though? I mean, or, or did that dismotivate you? Like when your coach was like, are you sure you're going to really make it a hockey? Like, did you go there that night and just go totally kick ass or, or, or does it, or did that not motivate you? Did that demotivate? You? I would say a good question. And there's a, you could write um, a great research paper on this topic alone, because um, how kids respond to different things now, uh, like old school way was coaches would take away opportunity from you. And it was then your job to figure that out and then 
turn it up, go play. Now, if a coach takes opportunity from you, kids really struggle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the it's the kick in the ass versus a pat on the back. Mm -hmm. You used to be able to kick somebody in the ass and they'd get yeah. going. Yeah. Now it's a pat on the back, right? Yeah. So I would say I, I grew up in the kick in the ass era yeah. where I understood what a kick in the ass meant. Doesn't yeah. mean that somebody dislikes me. Yeah. Doesn't mean they don't necessarily believe in me. Doesn't mean that I need to dwell on something that was negative. Mm -hmm. It just means I need to be a little bit better, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say that that was like, I'm gonna get this guy. No, absolutely not. Um, but I will say in hindsight, it's it feels good to say you were wrong. Yeah, totally, you know? totally. So, I mean, I think that relates to the growth mindset too. I think the younger generation is, is a lot of them are living more in fear of disapproval as opposed, because they don't get kicked in the ass anymore. I mean, right. it's not the culture now is like, they can't get kicked in the ass. And I think there's more of a fixed based mindset in the younger generation now than the growth based mindset that, that I feel like our generation had just intrinsically more of what we're um, uh, talking about this book. Uh, I think it's literally called Growth Mindset. Mind and just, Mindset by Carol Dweck, I think. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it basically talks about the two different mindsets. Very similar to what we're talking about right now. It's just, I think there's, I think intrinsically the younger generation now has a different wired mindset for the majority. I, want, I definitely wouldn't say all of them. It's not across, you know, it's not like everybody, but I think uh, it's really interesting when you talk about that growth mindset versus fixed mindset. So fixed mindset in your situation, so you had a growth mindset and you said, yeah, hey, even if they even if they think I can't do it, there's still potential for me to do it. Or fixed mindset would basically shut down and say, oh, my ceiling is here. Yeah. This person said my ceiling actually is here. And obviously you didn't believe them. That was you wouldn't have played hockey, right? You would have stayed at the football game or whatever. Um, so I think that I think that relates exactly to what he's talking about too. So yeah. really and, interesting. And so going back to like Marty Broder had that growth mindset, like yeah. he was striving to be the best in the yeah. world, right? Is that something you try? So for your daughters, they play hockey, right? All of them? Yep. So is that something you're, I mean, like, are you supporting that? Is that something you're trying to instill in them? Is like, you can be the best in the world. Go for it. Yeah. You know? so, so I also know that I can't set goals for anybody else. Like they have to set the goal. So I, I, I can tell them that I think it's possible for them to set any, any, any goal that you can fathom. Mm -hmm. I think you should set it, but I can't set the goals for them. Um, that has to be them. So, I, I mean, I try to get them to say stuff like, yes, I want it, you know, and then go get it, you know, or w whatever that is. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I try to artificially inflate them either, um, you know, or say, like, you're the greatest. Mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. you got, like, I try to be honest. Like, it was good. You know, you should, you should be proud. But was it the greatest? No. You know, um, and that that's... That's a fine line yeah. when it comes to like a young kid and a young mm -hmm. mind. It's a fine line. Um, and I've, I think I've hurt my kids before saying stuff like that. Um, but I think I'm actually okay with hurting their feelings from time to time saying stuff like that. I think we all have. And you just learn from it, right? And try yeah. to grow as a parent. Yeah. And okay, that was not interpreted the way that I intended for it to, to be. And, and so I'm going to change something up next time. Um, yeah. I think, and, and that's one of the things, one of the, one of the key facets of the growth mindset that uh, Ben's alluding to is just being able to learn from failure instead of like, oh, I just, I wasn't good enough. This is a negative situation. Mm -hmm. Move on, moving on mm -hmm. and not learning and growing is like, what could I do better? What can I take away from this experience and work on and try and improve for next time? Um, and that's something I've 
constantly try and instill in my children. If my my oldest daughter does competitive horseback riding, she goes out, she has a bad ride. I go, that was seat time. It's valuable. You got video of it. What? Let's go back to the drawing board. What can you learn? What are you going to work on in practice? That so you come out next time and you'll be better. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's a critical thing I'm trying to instill in them. So yeah. Yeah, and I, I agree wholeheartedly that uh, you can help them too with systems on how to handle it. Like you put like not, not protocols, but you know things in line where you say the game didn't go well. What can you do to improve? And the, the answer to that might not be anything on the ice. It might be like come up with a better system. Like did you warm up appropriately? Did you get there too early? Were you distracted? Were you something like, maybe simple? You know, but you have to go through like your whole routine, your whole process in these games and what they're doing. Um, and this is school. It's, it's, it's everything, right? Like test. Did, did you wig out for this test? How did you perform on the test? You don't necessarily need to study more before the test. Were you nervous? Did you notice your heart rate spiking? You know, did you think before going into this test that you weren't going to do well? Um, and if you did, I do tell the girls this all the time. It's, this isn't profound. But whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. So if you think you're not going to do well on that test, if you're nervous about not doing well on that test, you will not do well on that test. You know. So you have to think that you can. Um, and that it, I don't think there's any like one great thing that I try to do with these girls, but it's just like all all the time, all these little things. But I I also wholeheartedly believe that uh, thick skin and being able to take, you know, some critical comments, behaviors, actions towards you and seeing where there is positive in there because there absolutely mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Finding it, looking mm -hmm. for it, actively mm -hmm. looking for it, finding it, and then exercising it mm -hmm. um, is will be a massive competitive advantage in the future. Absolutely. Totally agree. I mean, because that's what life is. It's yeah. If you can't take feedback, positive, negative, or whatever, whatever it is, whether it's good, bad, true, or false, if you can't take that, you're not going to be able to live. You, yeah. you can't navigate someone who doesn't like you or someone who does like you. It's yeah, it's. I think it's gotten way more intense. I mean, I, I didn't really grow up when there was a lot of social media. I mean, there's a little bit going on, but the amount of positive and negative stimulus that kids get now from social media is like absolute next level, like comparative to to what I feel like I grew up with. I don't know about you guys, mm -hmm. but what they're getting now, like the, the cyber bullying and like the stuff that's said, what wouldn't have ever been said in person before. Right. I feel like is a whole new level. Right. Um, but I feel like that just, it's an opportunity for them. They have to be stronger now, like they, or stronger in a different way. Like would we have been able to deal with someone saying, you know, the, the types of stuff that are being said on social media. I mean, I don't know, maybe, could we have like taken a punch? Probably, right. you know, like maybe they're not dealing with that as much now, but it's cyberbullying and it's insane. So like, yeah, that they're going to have to deal with that and it's not going to get any easier you right. know, as they get older. And uh, I think you, 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 to everybody's level of success, they've noticed that the further you get up, I think of the world as a triangle and there's millions of worlds that each person lives in. You can call them communities. There's the hockey community of be football community could be manufacturing community, whatever it is. I always look at it as a pyramid and you start off on the base, like the, at the bottom floor, but eventually you make your way to the top and you're that top stone. It's a small world. Everybody knows everybody and it's cutthroat and everybody's grabbing at your heels, right? Cause the only place for everybody else to go is up. The mm -hmm. only place for you to go at that point is down. 
And when you get there, people will want to pull you down and they'll do anything they can to get you out of that spot to take your spot. And you are good. You're great. That's why you're there. Right. But then you still have to stay focused and do a bunch of other things. But the world gets dirty at the top. It does. And people get desperate because there's so little room in that top triangle. Right. There's only so much space up there for the world's best and people will do whatever they can. Um, you see, I think at, at the world's highest level, and I just, it was sport. That's what I made it to, or that's where I saw it, is it gets greasy. Mm-hmm. You know, and it gets dirty. Mm-hmm. And um, the more you're ready for it, yeah. and the more you can handle it, yeah. the longer you'll stay in there. Yeah. But nobody stays in that top pyramid forever. You know, it, you fall in and out of it. And it wears you down, I think. But it's an interesting analogy. I uh, yeah, I can relate to that. And the first time I got sued ever, it was like four years into business. And I remember calling my mentor and saying, "Dude, I just got sued. I'm gonna have to like go get a job at McDonald's, like pay off my loans or whatever." And he's he's like, "Ben, congratulations." It's like, dude, what are you talking about? Congratulations, yeah. like, bro, I just got sued for like it was like a half million bucks, and it's to- in a totally frivolous lawsuit, whatever. And, and he's like, congratulations, most billionaires have an average of 13 lawsuits going on at any time. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm on my way to being a billionaire. Like, <laughs> hey, okay, totally. I need 12 more of these. Totally shifted, <laughs> totally shifted the mindset, but you're 100% right. It's, the, yeah, the amount of problems and everything, but I like your, I like the triangle analogy because it's, it's true. I mean, it's, it's a good way to view it. Do, do you think that's true? And the, the, because this is where maybe I'm seeing a little deviation from the world of, sport and you know the business world i don't like for me being in a different industry than you yeah like i want you to experience a tremendous amount of success right totally and, totally and, like, and, and I, I have to so this is a different mindset this i think is the abundance mindset yeah. um where there's just you know the the thought that there's enough to go around and like just because you're successful doesn't necessarily mean that i can't be successful but when you're in the world of ice hockey and you're talking about the nhl and there's only so only so many teams and so many roster spots mm-hmm. That's what it does mean. If, if you're successful, then there's one less person that's going to be able to, to make a roster. Yeah. And so I think that's where it's a little bit different. I feel like it's it's would definitely be hyper-focused based. If, hey, there's only a certain amount of wood product manufacturers that can exist because the market's only so big. Yeah, no, your competitors only, don't want it. They want, right, they exactly. Want tra- yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah no, I, w- I would agree with you, though. Yeah, I mean, entrepreneurs in general absolutely want to see other people succeed for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with that statement, too. But what I would say is that – in that it's very easy to see hockey's pyramid. It's everybody that plays the game. Yeah. Now, what world or community or whatever you're living in, manufacturing is different than, um, you know, retail sales. You know, it's different. And there's two entrepreneurs that might cross paths, but that's like a different pyramid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that yeah. you're, you change it. If you just go straight up, entrepreneurship yeah it's great but when you get into the same world and you start competing for similar business yeah. contracts mm-hmm. deals yeah then and it's a small enough yeah small enough community like mine would have been like the automotive app. yeah exactly yeah like the, so for sure yeah there was yeah. like in the pyramid of automotive people, part yeah. manufacturers and yeah, yeah they, they, they would have wanted to kill you wanted the drag yeah. us down. and you yeah, would absolutely. want to see them have success yeah you don't yeah i, I do you, know? you can have like a little bit of success over there yeah, yeah. Dude, at it's the okay. bottom yeah at the bottom it's it's okay. Okay. keep yeah. the doors open yeah. but just yeah. chill there yeah. okay yeah. yeah i want you to be able to provide for your family but that's about no more than that. yeah so when somebody's in your lane it changes you know 
it changes. It changes the mentality entirely, I think. But yeah. So what is, I'm just trying to think about like, what do, I, what do I, for my kids, this concept of this, you know, triangle of the elite in these different areas, aspects of life, like, what do I tell them about that? It's cutthroat. People are going to. Yeah, they got to be tough enough. Out of there? Yeah, I mean, if they, it, if they, if they want to achieve a level on the top at whatever it is, it, it's going to be tough at the top for sure. Absolutely. And they have to be tough enough to get there if they want to get there, if they have desire to get there, if they want to be the best at something. Some people, I feel like, truly don't have an internal desire to be the best at something. Right. I think that's, and that's like totally fine. And, and I mean, I feel like I've realized this with a lot of employees where it's like, hey, their, their desire isn't to be like a CEO of a company or like, be the best, whatever, you know, they like want to enjoy their life. They want to go camping on the weekends. They want to hang out with their family. Dude, that's fucking awesome. Good for them. Like, great. But, but like, if you want to achieve the, the highest level in hockey in business in whatever, like, yeah, totally. It's going to be cutthroat. It's going to be fucking hard. Like, have you guys heard the saying, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. No, I haven't heard that. Yeah. So you can have it all. You, you can be, rich you can have a great job you know being the top piece of that pyramid yeah but you can't have it all at once yeah so you've only got 24 hours in a day mm -hmm. and you're going to spend all of it making money then you're not going to have a great family mm -hmm. or a great family life i think we can say with a high degree of certainty if you're not there you're not going to have a great family life. Mm -hmm. um, but you, so you can you can have it all you, you can play hockey you can be the greatest ever played but that might be your entire focus but you won't have everything else in life, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's like that balance. And I think some people have like a different balance um, and things change and everything. But yeah, I think that correlates to where it's, you have it all, man. You can be great and you can tell your kids, but you can't have it all at once. So you have to make choices. Has, you know, you'll have to decide for yourself. But. That leads me to something I was going to ask you about because as a professional hockey player, you were traveling all the time. Mm -hmm. And so now in your next kind of phase of your life, you're doing, you know, the broadcasting for the Minnesota Wild. You're, I, you're still traveling a lot, right? Yep. And so, how do you navigate that? Like, as far as being away from your your kids and your family for a significant period of time during the hockey season, is that it's got to be challenging? Yep. Travel stinks. Uh, it's tough to be away. I coached all three of my girls last year uh, when I could, um, and it's managing it. The I'll have people ask, do you want to be like a national broadcaster? Um, and I mean, I shouldn't say this publicly, but I really think the answer is no. It could, like this is a great example of you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. Could I do I do I think that that's possible? Yes. Am I willing to do what it takes to get that? No. Is that would that be you moving to New York, LA, or that even a? I ask the guys. <laughs> I, I ask the guys, and they're on the road two hundred days a year. Oh my god! Yeah. So I'm, I thought business was demanding. That's another level. Yeah. Maybe it's you got to travel. You got to go to where the games are. You got to be yeah. there. You got to talk. You got to do it. Yeah. You know, it's um, 200 and some days a year. Uh, would I like the gig? Yeah. Would I like doing that? No. Yeah. You can't do it. Yeah. Um, you have to make those choices, I think. But uh, what's what I'd say is great about the gig is, and you, it's different. Each individual's choice is what they have to do and how they make them. Um, uh, they're on, they're on different reasons, rock, stones, whatever it is. But um, this works for me because my entire life, hockey, great, loved it, played it forever. And from the moment I was, I don't know, four years old, it was you start what you have to do in September and you end it in June. That's school, that's hockey, 
you know, and I played summer sports, but my entire life, right into college hockey to pro hockey, you start in September, you end in June. When I got done playing, I was like 35 years old, and I was like, I, I don't, I don't know if I can, if I can have like a real job. <laughs> I, I've never, I've never had a responsibility in the month of July in my entire life. You know, mm-hmm. like I've been able to do whatever I want. June, July, August, mm-hmm. I'll give you everything I got the other nine months. Mm-hmm. But those months are like mine, and I don't know. You know, I, don't, I wouldn't know what it's like. I don't know. I didn't think I could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, this gig was nice because it allowed me to stay on my same schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, like I do all that. Everybody knows. My wife is accustomed to it. She's known me forever. The kids are accustomed to it. Like it was our lifestyle. That's what we're. That's what we're used to. And now I dialed it back. So I I travel for probably about twenty five of the wild games. Versus the forty-two, um, so that extra couple weeks at home in the winter is huge. It mm-hmm. Makes all the difference in the world. But um, yeah, it's it's good and it's good and bad. I, th- I think if you if you were to ask my wife, she enjoys me being gone too. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's really cool about that is that you just kind of alluded to, and uh, Ben and I have actually talked about work-life balance a lot. I I shared in a previous podcast, like I at one point I completely neglected my physical health, and I was like. 275 at like peak and and lost about 70 pounds not um, peak performance no peak, not peak performance yeah peak i mean like <laughs> typing computer sales performance yeah. like it was pretty good um but i just completely neglected my physical i'm sure i was neglecting my family at the same time but all of my effort went into the business and growing the business but what i didn't have was that kind of summer break you were just talking about it's so like sure you're traveling you know while you were playing hockey while you're broadcasting now so during those months like you're leaning more into your profession versus the family. But then come June, July, August, I imagine, is it a lot more family focused and that's entirely. Yeah. And so you're, you're making up for it. Cause like, I think a lot of people have this like vision that their life's going to be like a third professional, a third yeah. focus on myself balanced. personally, a third, like yeah. it's completely balanced and all the time. Never deviates. Yeah. 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 What in it reality your it shifts. Yeah. You can have everything, but you can't have it all at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so you're, you're, yeah, I think it's it's a great structure that you have because you're, I don't want to say making up for it in those three mm-hmm. months, but if you were to average it out across the whole year because of how much more you're putting into it in June, July, August, it's probably getting you really close to work exactly where you want to be on the balance side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it works. It, it really does work for us. I think it works for my mental health. Some ways, like I've never had it another way. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I have no clue, mm-hmm. but I just know that if I had to punch out at like five o'clock race home, eat dinner, and then do other stuff 50 weeks out of the year, that, that would take some adjusting for me. Mm-hmm. I, I know that, you know, what an interesting thing. So like, I feel like now, and again, I'm not super, super into sports, but, uh, uh, now it seems like kids are, you know, they pick a sport at a pretty early age and they're doing camps the entire year, I, even at like super young ages, they're doing that sport the entire year. Obviously you've, you've made it to the pinnacle of, you know, that sport. Um, but you weren't doing that year round. No, you had the summers off. Right. Do you feel like that gave you time to like disconnect rebalance and then enjoy it again the next season? Or do you do you feel like you would have gotten burnt out if you did summer camps every single summer and then went right back into it in September or whatever it was? Yeah, good good question. I feel like I would have been a better player. You feel like you would have been a better player? Oh yeah, there's no doubt okay. that would have, you'd be a better player. Do you think, I think you would there's have a direct correlation between time spent 
And, and there's another quote that I'd like to use. It's, uh, it's not about the time you put into work. It's about the work you put into your mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. So I, I like being like, okay, if I'm focused, I, I can get done two hours here today. What will take that dude for, mm -hmm. you know? So then you just, you work. So you wouldn't have to spend four hours a day like kids do now working on stuff and going from this sheet to that ice sheet to this training thing. But um, I think I would have been a better player. Yeah. Now, mentally, would I have been a better player? I'm not sure. Hmm. Like, would I have been tougher, these other things? I, I really don't know. I'm glad I didn't have to play year-round, if that helps answer that question at all. Hmm. Um, would, I have, would I have been burnt out? Maybe. Maybe you want to know what probably would have happened is I, I think there will be like, and we'll see, I'd love to know the exact like era when it started, like what the birth year is when kids started to specialize at about 10 years old mm -hmm. and see what kind of identity crisis they have freshman year of college, mm -hmm. because you're, you're Ryan, the mm -hmm. hockey player. That's your identity 12 yeah. months out of the year. Yeah. And then at 18 years old, when you're not mentally strong enough to no longer have that identity mm -hmm. because you're not good enough, mm -hmm. you know, or, and that happens like it, as much as I say, achieve your goals, set huge goals, mm -hmm. still 99.9% .9 of all people are going to fail. Mm -hmm. You know, doesn't mean you can't be the one that succeeds, but these kids are going to have identity problems because they have to say, no, 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 I'm not the hockey player. Right. I, I'm mm -hmm. not now I'm, I'm this and can they handle that? And I think it's hard because there's so much pressure put on these kids early on in their lives now to where they, they like parents, everybody yep. wants them to have success so bad yep. that they'll ultimately feel like they're letting everybody else down when they don't succeed. And that pressure will also buckle them too. And that's where to, to wrap this up, I think it's possible I would have buckled under pressure had I played all year round. Mm. Um, and, and that would have been my identity at certain points. Yeah, I needed the potential outs at times for sure. And the mental game is equally as important as like the physical game, right? Because like if mentally you would have buckled, you would have never made it to the pros. Right. So like you could have trained all you wanted, but guess what? Mentally, if you didn't make it to the pros, you didn't make it to the pros. Right. And I think it's such a, I, I'm, I'm really curious, exactly like you said, how this plays out as time goes on here, how this is going to affect the next generation. And I don't think many people write books about failures. Like you hear the success stories, right? But mm -hmm. what would be an intriguing study are give me that era of trained athlete that didn't make it. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk to that person and, and see how they're doing. Like you're saying. Yeah. It's a vast majority. It'll be, it'll be hands down. Huge yeah. majority. Yeah. And then I think what you see is kids kick the can down the road. Hockey has options. I don't know about other sports, but they'll chase it. Junior league, junior league, yep. junior league. Yep. Then they'll face reality at 21, 22. They'll mm -hmm. say, shoot, I wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. You know? And that's what I think that's okay. That's okay. Um, but yeah. B baseball has the same thing too, right? It's like a, a Kind of minor league or, or there's like a lesser league baseball right? yeah absolutely there's um yeah not even the, so you have the minor league that feeds up to the mlb but then you have other leagues Below. farm teams as well yeah. right? i think like the meesville mud hens for uh, the minnesota yeah. people out here something like that whatever whatever league mm -hmm. that is so mm -hmm. 
thinking through that lens and talking about your childhood and how people were telling you have a backup plan. And, you know, like, I, I just interesting, like, how are you approaching it with your daughters? Obviously you're encouraging them. You want them to set the goal. You're encouraging them to, to aim high. What is it? Is it shoot for the stars, land on the moon type thing? Um, but like what you were just re- referring to there, how are you preparing them for, or are you, you know, are you, are you telling them to have a backup plan? No. Are you, I'll never tell them to have a backup plan. <clears throat> I, I believe you need to be all in. I, and so I, I went back to school. I was playing and don't, I don't want anybody to think that the decisions that I make, I entirely think are perfect. Great. You know, everybody has to make their own decisions, but I was probably 27 or 28 years old. And uh, it looked like I was getting close to being done playing. I was after five years playing in the NHL, was on a one-way contract, which means you're playing in the NHL to the next deal. I was offered the best one was a two-way deal. And I said, all right, man, it's, I'm, I'm on my way down. So I started going back to school. I started, it was the University of Phoenix online, looking for second options, planning out the next phase. And then it was probably eight weeks into that. I slammed the book. I kicked the door and I was like, this is stupid. Like me planning to fail is me accepting failing. If you want to keep playing, keep playing. Right. And it was like a like mentally had to decide preparing for plan B is accepting failure on plan A. You have to be all in on plan A entirely ready to fail. And when you fail and your knees are scraped and your nose is bloody and everything sucks, then what I'll tell my kids is come on home for a little bit. We got you, you know, then go back out, chase the next one. All in. Don't care about it. Go after it. That's probably how I'll approach that. No, my kids, the oldest is 11. We're a long ways from that. But mm-hmm. that's probably what I'll try to be is just make sure that they know that there's a place for them where every that, that everybody's happy to see them, that it's comfortable. But you go out there in the world and challenge the world. And uh, if you fail, that's okay. We'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So they're all in on plan A. If that doesn't work out, come back home. We're here. You've got your support network. Yeah. And we'll figure it out together. Yes, yeah. that's, that's awesome. That, that would be my mentality is like never mentally. I believe if you already have accepted a second plan, you've like, you're done. Plan A is gone. Like you've lost it. You've lost your edge. Um, I wholeheartedly believe that. We talked about Marty Brodeur. Are there, is there any other mentors or role models that come to mind that had a lasting impact on you? And maybe you, you're going to try and package up that wisdom and pass it on to your kids at some point? Yeah, boy. Um, good question. I, I played with great people, great humans, learned a lot about um, having success, how to handle success. You know, I would say I wasn't great at handling success early on. You know, I would get uh, I would get arrogant, maybe puff my chest out a little bit too much, and it's like, well, settle down, but you really haven't done anything. Just chill a bit. But but you see guys that have had legitimate success that treat people um, like like they serve everybody else. And uh, that those are the kind of guys like Timo Solani would be one of those guys, Scott Niedemeyer, like true leaders, dudes that I played with. Um, but there are also coaches that, that I really enjoyed, uh, that, that I took a lot away from. Um, 
you know, sacrifice to community, to different things and the value in that. And it doesn't pay itself or pay you back in dollars and cents, but it's in like filling your cup up with, you know, things that matter. But yeah, Billy Butters was, uh, he's my high school coach. Great guy. Still see him once a week. Um, Marco Siki was my coach in junior. Um, and, and he was good teaching me like what it meant to be tough, like challenging me, um, mentally getting over the edge. Um, but then I also appreciate the people that I hate, um, the people that like hurt me, you know, it's like, that's, that's I believe it was hard for them to do that. And they did that. And in some ways I respected, really disliked them. Right. Um, but respect them because you learn so much from, from that kind of stuff. So, um, I'd say I'm more shaped from failures than successes undoubtedly in that one for sure. I think that mindset contributed to your success. Maybe like that can't be overstated. <laughs> I think just having that mindset to be like, I appreciate those people that were mm-hmm. shitty to me. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. You taught me something. Mm-hmm. appreciate you. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I don't think a lot of people would look at it through that lens. Yeah. But it took me a long time. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to meet some of these people in an alley once upon a time. <laughs> Maybe I haven't completely got over it, but, but uh, over close. It. Yeah. What is the most important life lesson that you've learned that would be valuable for your children to carry with them throughout their lives? Yeah, good question. I would say it's what I believe leadership actually is. Um, I think a lot of what people and like believe that leadership or that what you see leadership as it's uh, like follow me right or you you put your eggs in somebody's basket that's not actually it to me leadership is performing at a very high level um and not sacrificing that but observing everybody else and getting more out of them so leadership might not be being first in line it might be recognizing that that person needs to be first in line today. Like let them go. Um, understanding that you need everybody else to be at their best, but you maintaining that you have this baseline expectation of yourself, but making everybody else better. That's leadership. How do I make everybody else better, but still be good? Cause I can't, um, at least this is the way I look at it. Like I, I still have the responsibility to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's probably the number one lesson is leadership is not the things that you see. It's not first in line. It's not the first one there. It's not the last one to leave. It's, it's leadership is actually a, it's a people person thing, right? It's, it's getting the most out of somebody. It's being emotionally intelligent, understanding what you need is different than what you need. Mm-hmm. And, being able to massage both of those, maybe even on the same day, you know, like you need a, you need a kick in the butt. You need a pat on the back. You need me to buy you lunch. You need me to ask you what you're doing on the weekend, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to get the most out of those people. I would love my girls to do that, to learn that. Um, I'll encourage them. One thing I never did. I wish I would have, I, I've never had a job in the service world. I want all my kids to have a job where they're serving people, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. um, they might have poor interactions with people. I want them to have to earn a tip to mm-hmm. smile at everybody, to like work on communicate. Yeah, yeah. In a way where you're serving people. Yeah. Um, I hope that they all they all do that at some point. 
to encourage them to work in the service industry, to experience that, to interact with people and learn some of these lessons in the real world is really interesting. And then I imagine the way that you interact with them, just simply being a role model of this, these behaviors, these characteristics that you're trying to instill in them, I think is going to go a long way. Any other ways that you can think of to try and instill some of these qualities in your kids or anything else you're doing beyond just setting the example and encouraging them to? Yeah, I think about, I often think about when it comes to my children, um, like my father and what he would say to me. And I didn't listen to what he would say to me, but I always watched what he did. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I can tell my kids one thing, um, and they'll they'll call me out on the inconsistencies, but it's uh, there are things that are I try to do on a consistent basis that that they see, you know, um, and it's through certain behaviors. Um, I, I don't think that there's certain there's not concepts or ideas or thoughts. It's just like consistent behavior in a positive manner. That's that's kind of what I, I hope that they pick up from me at some point, you know, and maybe that is just saying hi to somebody every time you see him. Maybe it is, um, you know, being happy first thing in the morning. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, but yeah, those are, that's, that's important. It's just being consistent in my behaviors. Cause, um, I believe that they will do, well, what is, how does that one go? They'll do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. Kids do mm-hmm. the opposite. They do as you do, not as you say. Mm-hmm. Funny, anytime we have a rule in our family that to not use our devices at the dinner table, every single time I pick up my phone, every single time, we're like, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> Happen to notice you have your phone in your hand. God, dang it. It was for five seconds. And they catch me every time. So, yeah. You absolutely. Know a, you know what's another important one? And I, I, I try to do this as much as possible is apologize to my kids. Mm-hmm. You know? Teaching, yeah, you're not perfect. Yeah, teaching that it's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I screwed that up. Mm-hmm. You know that mm-hmm. that was entirely my bad. Mm-hmm. You know they call you out with your phone at the table. Like my first instinct is to be like, ah, it's different. You know, <laughs> yeah. versus this is actually important. this is important. Right? Versus it's actually important versus, business. Yeah, versus being like, you know what, you're, 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 I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah, you know, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah, I've had some interactions uh, with my youngest child. She's occasionally gets a bit under my skin. I, I would let anger get the best of me, say something that I regretted moments later. And yeah, it takes, it takes a lot to go back to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have reacted that way. That was not okay. Right. And yeah. I think that, that those, it happened. They're few and far between, but those times that it's happened, I think she's really appreciated that. I'm hoping that she's learning a lot from that. And it, you know, your parents, just because they're older, whatever, you know, have experienced stuff, but they're not perfect. Yeah. Right. I think your love erases a lot of that stuff in the kid's minds. Like the kid knows that you love them. Mm-hmm. What it teaches the kid is also to be like, it's okay to apologize to people. Mm-hmm. I make mistakes. It's okay mm-hmm. for me. If dad does that, if dad apologizes to me, I can apologize mm-hmm. to, you know. Because dad's a hero. Mom, dad are the heroes. And so. if they can apologize, they, can do it, if they I can don't do have to be perfect. Yeah. I can say I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, that's a prime example of them being able to do what you do. Yeah. Right? Not just, hey, you should apologize to them. Well, I mean, right. they've seen you apologize to them a bunch. Right. And I, I love that. That's uh, really cool. And then you've probably heard too, like, we try, I, I try to do this as much as possible. But when at some point your kids will get into relationships, you know, with, I've only got girls. So we're, we're, Mine definitely aren't. They're never getting really. 
Yeah. <laughs> Whoever they fall in love My with. My oldest is 15 right now. Like, we are on the cusp, man. Like, yeah. And dads are, dads are the key driver in, like, the relationship dynamics with the spouse and how your how the kids in the house learn how to treat the people that they love so it's like you got to make sure mm-hmm. that you're treating people like your wife and everybody with respect at all times and if you cross that boundary you need to or i try to apologize to my wife in front of my kids mm-hmm. you know so that they see like mm-hmm. I, it was wrong what i did or how i treated mom in that regard and you guys need to know that it, i know that i was wrong you know, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. try to be as good as possible in that sense because they learn what's acceptable in relationship from you too. I think, anyways. I, I think that's like a huge show that you how much emotional intelligence you have to be able to actually think like, hey, I made a mistake. I'm going to apologize, and not only am I going to apologize, I'm going to do it in front of my kids because they saw me make the mistake in the first place. Right. Um, so hopefully they can, you know, again learn from that and and understand their parents are not infallible. They make mistakes, and we're going to own it. Yeah, yeah. Dad makes a lot of them around here. <laughs> can Can you share a time when you had to step outside of your comfort zone, and what lessons about courage and taking risks do you hope to impart to your children? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got that. done. I got done playing, and I bring you back to it where I was like, I didn't know what I was going to do with the rest of my life, and you know, I, I certainly through hockey had the opportunity to buy myself time. I could buy myself time figuring that out great gift um but i knew that i I had to do i had to do more at some point Um, what that was going to be i didn't know i had a ton of anxiety but i get a phone call that says you want to try tv and the answer right away was no absolutely not no thank you they're like well just think about it and i was like okay i'll think about it they're like how about you try pre and post game shows it'll be you know you'll be able to figure this out it's okay you know We'll work through all that stuff. And I was like, I don't think so, man. They're like, eventually I was like, all right, I'll try it. I'll try it. They're like, how many do you want to do? Like 40 games? I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> so we'll try it. I, I thought maybe that meant like one, two. <laughs> They're like, no, we need, we need 10. So the first year I did like 10. And I was, it was, I was nervous. It was terrible. Um, I would say public speaking was not a strength of mine whatsoever. I almost had zero desire to do it. But I was somewhat motivated by fear because I did get advice from um, Darby Hendrickson, who's the coach of the Wild now. When I got done playing, I was just like, "Hey, you know, like, like what's what's important? Like, you were here X number of years ago. Like, what do you think?" He's like, "Well, Ryan, if you care about hockey, you got to stay in it because the world changes over fast. Like, if if you are out of the game, you're out almost entirely and certainly for good. So you have to stay in it. So that means you have to be active and say." Hey, can I get a gig here? Can I do this? How can I help? Whatever Mm -hmm. it is, but you had to stay in the game. So I didn't want to do TV, but that was the opportunity I had to stay in the game. And so I, on that thought premise, I was like, all right, I'll do something. I'll try it just to stick around it, to be around the people. Um, I felt that it would be comfortable because I know all the people at the rank, you know, I knew the people in uh, production from having broadcast my games previously. And in some ways it was a great transition that way because I had a lot of people around that would look out and care, like take care of me. Um, but at the same time, it was, you're projecting to the world. You're speaking to everybody and you're about to get roasted, you know, for something you've never done before. 
And to the, the keyboard warriors, I mean, it, it's true. It happens. And it was uncomfortable. And I did not like it. Um, but the next year, like, you want to do more games? I said, sure. They're like, would you try some in the booth? So, like, during the games, I was like, oh, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll try some. Um, but eventually, what I think I learned is the value of the word yes. Right? So, I didn't want to do any of that stuff at all. But I said yes, and I was entirely uncomfortable. Um, and I've been able to carve out a nice little a nice little gig, and uh, it's been great for the family and everybody else. But it was it was being afraid of something, not wanting to do it, but at the same time being motivated by an opportunity that I knew likely would never come back. So saying yes, knowing it'd be okay if I failed, and uh, slowly but surely, a little better, a little better, a little mm-hmm. better, and mm-hmm. here we are today. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a terribly uncomfortable time. It was awful. Yeah. So what, what do you, what will you tell your, your girls about that? You know, in terms of, obviously you were uncomfortable and you decided to, to take the leap. That took a lot of courage to go do something. I mean, I'm terrified of public speaking. I don't know if it's ever going to be something that's a part of my life in the future. Um, I've done it a handful of times, but yeah, I mean, I, so I know the courage that it takes to go and do something like that. Um, yeah. Are there any kind of lessons that you hope to pass on to your kids about yeah. risk taking and, and yeah. And courageous in a situation like that. Yeah, and that one I do think it's probably simple. It's probably the value of the word yes. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we, we it's probably as simple as the same thing at the dinner table. You can't say you don't like it if you didn't try it. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to try it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when you try it, try hard. You know, do your best. Your best might stink. Like I stunk. You know, I was terrible. I was terrible, but there was enough in there. Whether it was uh, an energy, a smile something was enough for them to say let's give them a little more time you know and uh that was all i needed and um, that again it's when you put yourself out there and you're uncomfortable and you're nervous people respect that too that's actually pretty rewarding when you do all that um and then you know it ends up working out that's kind of nice so you were uh, so maybe that's like, like vulnerability you were open with the people that were asking you to do this you're like god this is in my wheelhouse i'm not necessarily super comfortable with this but I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. And they supported you through that. Yeah. Very cool. And I don't know, I don't know if this is a positive thing, but fear was a motivator. I was afraid to not get opportunity again or what that looked like. Yeah. So fear motivated me in some ways and fear can be a great motivator. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It motivated me to say yes, Mm -hmm. for sure. Good. Well, bridging from that, there's uh, I want to hear, I mean, you had several injuries, you know, throughout your tenure as a player in the NHL. I mean, I, I can't imagine the adversity that you face in those situations. Like now you're not playing, now you need to rehab, you need to get healthy again. Like what, what's that like to, to have, cause I think you had some major injuries, right? Some yeah. surgeries and stuff like what, what is, what's going through your mind and how do you overcome adversity like that? Yeah. Yeah. I suppose you do what you have to do. The, 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 the difference I think in sport versus business is that you have a, like a finite amount of time to have an impact. You know, it's, you, you know, 40, there, there are some guys that can play beyond that, but you know, 40 and in hockey now it's like 35, you know, you're done. You can't will it. You can't practice it. You can't, um, you can't improve it. There's nothing you can do. You will be done, you know? And, um, that's the hard part is, um, you're balancing risk reward all the time knowing that you're fighting the clock at Mm. the same time. So it was, 
I have this shoulder, terrible shoulder, grade five AC separation. Doctors say we could fix it uh, through surgery, but it would take you a year. And um, at that time in my career, I was like, I, I don't have a year. And they were like, well, or you can just let it heal how it will heal. It'll be like a broken bone. Eight weeks, you'll be able to play. And I was like, okay, eight weeks. That's what it was. Um, and here we are. I have a, I have a shoulder I can plug my ear with, you know, and collarbones all messed up. Shoulders all messed up. Um, but it was a choice. It was a choice I made. I would make the same one again. Um, you, you would? Oh, yeah. Yep. It's easy to, I think it's easy for me to look back and say, shouldn't it? The injuries, another thing that everybody that's going to listen to this and you guys sitting here have been injured before and you dealt the steps and the decisions that you made leading up to that injury and you can say to yourself, why didn't I just do this the mm -hmm. moment before? Mm -hmm. Why didn't I make this decision mm -hmm. at that moment? Mm -hmm. And you second guess that injury. Um, I don't think that that's a positive behavior. You have to accept that what you did, what the decision you made was the right one at the right time. And now how you respond to that um, is entirely up to you. So uh, I, I would go back and do it all exactly the same for sure. Uh, now, would I love to have my shoulder fixed and feeling a little bit better and looking different? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely would. Um, but I don't think I'd, I'd, I don't think I'd like the consequence of that or the, the cost of that. Mm -hmm the year versus the eight weeks yeah what how that would impact your yeah. playing career yeah yeah and second guessing it i just don't think that that's valuable um i can't change it so i don't i try not to think about changing it yeah, yeah. but yeah it's you, those are all mental hurdles that you work through mm -hmm. the other terrible part about injury is in a team sport you're part of a team and management at times would use this too but isolation is a motivator so isolation from a team sport is it is awful you see your mates your guys there working um towards a like a common goal that you're a part of and you're off on your own and i'd play for teams that wouldn't let injured guys be around the locker room around the team while injured because they want you back as hmm. fast as possible. Really? So That's interesting. As soon as you can possibly play, they want to make it like life somewhat shitty for you. To, you know? to try and motivate you to get back faster? Yeah. So you will get back the moment you're ready. It won't be a week later. It'll be the moment you're ready. Uh -huh. Because you're going to you push. Be, you're going to do the therapy yes. that you need to do. Yeah. And, and you'll yeah, be no, dying to get back with that group. Because uh -huh. you do not want to be alone sucks being old. do you think that resulted in people maybe coming back too fast yeah entirely but you think about management and sport though and it's different but you're just an asset you and your body is an asset right it's no different than machinery on the line mm -hmm. you run it you run it you mm -hmm. run it. the bearings something you don't grease it it's gonna wear it's gonna break down but that's an asset how you get it up and running as fast as possible you might have to you might have to rig it to get you through uh, until your slow season mm -hmm. to when you can fix it, right? Mm -hmm. It's no different. We're just assets. Mm -hmm. And management needs you to be a performing asset. If you're not, you're just dead money on the books, right? They need that investment to pay dividends. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I don't think it's always looked at it like that, but it is looked like players are, it, that's, that's true. Mm -hmm.
Sometimes the machine's too broken. You got to replace it right then. Sometimes you just, sometimes just got to sell it. Wouldn't that be nice if machines had free agency? <laughs> what about, what about that? So let's talk about, cause you got traded. I mean, you went from several different teams. Yep. I imagine there were times where did it come as a surprise or did you know about these things? And then all of a sudden, like one day you're like, I'm an Anaheim duck. Oh, you're going to New Jersey. I don't know if that was a yeah. leap that you made, but like, what's it like to just up and leave and move? And now you're integrated with a new group of people trying to work towards a common goal. Yeah. So get to the pyramid. Once you get to the top, it's a small world. You know, people everywhere, everywhere you go. So you get dealt, you'll know people. Like you can get traded. You'll know someplace you're going to. It's also great. And this is why I hope, um, my girls will play some type of college sport. Once you get there, you have instant community. So you instantly have 23 mm-hmm. people as a support system, minimum in hockey, right? So when you get dealt, it's not that hard for me as, when I played, cause it's like, all right, I went from one squad. Oh, these are my buddies. Yeah. That part's hard. You actually learned that lesson early that you're on borrowed time. Um, but you have new friends instantly, mm-hmm. you know, you have new people that are going to say, let's go to dinner. New people that are going to share a meal with you, you know, invite you over. You know that where it's hard is for your wife and family. Cause they don't have instant community. Nope. In the uh, moment I get traded, I have you in sport. You have people making calls, flights, hotels, cars, everything to get you where you're going. You never have to make a plan ever. Then your wife, on the other hand, has got to figure out how to pack up an apartment, get the dog, get the kids, get the cars dialed up. How are you going to ship them? Where's it going to go? She's got to drive. She's got to do that. It's hard on families. Getting traded is easy for a player. It's hard on families. Um, but it's it's exciting, and it's it's a bummer because in one way, somebody's telling you you weren't good enough, or we didn't see value in you anymore. On the other hand, somebody's saying we see value in you, you know, see, um, there's positives there, but, uh, trading me in hindsight, I played for five teams. It's fantastic. If I played for one team, you know, one group of people, I, I know guys all across the league now, mm-hmm. friends, yeah, that's cool. numbers and every zip code I can think of. That's cool. Right. And that's cool. it's one of the benefits to being a guy that played on five teams in 10 years. Um, is that you got a nice Rolodex of, of people and friends. And um, so that part's good. Uh, I mean, I, I've got trade stories. I, I got traded. I was in Anaheim. I was at the San Diego Zoo. I got a call at the zoo that you're dealt. And I had like three hours to get to L.A. to fly in a red eye because Carolina needed me to play the next day. I traded uh, from Anaheim to Carolina. So I red eye overnight to Carolina. Landed six in the morning. I couldn't believe this, but the coach was like, "Cards, we we need you to come in. We got our morning uh, like pre scout and this and that. We want you to meet everybody." So I know he just landed. He didn't sleep. Come to the rink. So then I go to the rink. I got to practice. Some practicing now. It's like 10, 11 in the morning. I'm dying. Absolutely dying. So tired. Go back. Try to sleep in this hotel I've never been to shut it down for like maybe an hour and then it's time to play a game. Oh my God. Yeah. That's <laughs> tough. And it's your first impression and you, everybody knows the value of a first impression, but the, the coach is great. He, he, he pulls me in right before the game and he's like, cards, just relax. He goes, I'm not going to watch video. I'm not going to watch you play. 
I just need you to play. You know, he said, I understand that your last 24 hours sucked and I'm not judging you on it whatsoever. So just go out and play and then we'll meet each other again tomorrow, like, so to speak. And, uh, we were going on the right foot, but I just need you to play. Like I need a body, like you got to do it. Um, so that was a tough one. Tough How'd trip. you play that night? I, I actually don't even recall. I think it fine. Nothing spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. You get to a spot where you're, you're like, and I had a D buddy that used to say, did you notice me tonight? And I'd say, no, he'd like, I had a good game then. Cause <laughs> didn't make a clearing mistake. Yeah. If you're on D yeah. and you didn't get noticed, yeah. you did your job. Yeah. So I think that night I didn't get noticed and that was good enough. Well, I think one correlation we can draw here. So Ben and I are part of a, a group called entrepreneurs organization. So it's a group of entrepreneurs and like I, I've experienced similar camaraderie. There's chapters in every city, like mm-hmm. countries all over the world, mm-hmm. you go there and you're instantly accepted. Yeah. And and they just, there's like this, you're, like I said, you're in that triangle Yeah, and they know that because you have the, you're in this similar mm-hmm. group and it's just so nice to be able to just go travel somewhere and just instantly have, have that community. So yeah. so yeah, like trying to, I just selfishly wanted to know what it's like to be traded. No, I'm trying to extrapolate like what lessons can this, you know, give to the next generation. I think it's Maybe. just the value of community. Absolutely. And having a peer group. Absolutely. Mm-hmm that you can, you know, lean on and rely on and, and feel accepted like you're part of a tribe. Mm-hmm. So finding that. Finding a tribe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But would it be nice in the business world to get a hard reset? Like that, that'd be different. Let's say you had a guaranteed contract and you got a hard reset, you know, new people, new eyes, new decision makers, everything hard reset. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. I would absolutely love it. Yeah. New location, yeah. totally new business. But still, same principles. Like it's whatever business, you know. Yeah, I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, it'd be incredible. There's there's positives to it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, sometimes it's great. It's like the M and A world, you know, takeovers or or, or uh, whatever. I mean, that's what they do. It's like every couple of years, every two to three years, they're at a new company with new people doing the same exact thing, turning companies back around. Yeah, no, that'd be. I think it'd be awesome. Hmm. Yeah. That was another stressor for me is the the way my career went actually from about 17 years old to 35. I, I probably was never in one spot more than two years. So when I got done playing, um, I mean, that was 18 years of change. And I got used to change mm-hmm. almost to like I mm-hmm. need change mm-hmm. to got done playing. And it's this is it. This is home. Yeah. And I would get asked my wife, I'd be, there'd be times where like, we got, we got, I got to move. We got to go. I got to do something. You know, yeah. she'd be like, just relax, man. And I'm, I'm like, it's just, it's just the way I was wired. Like I, I did mm-hmm. it for so long. It's like, it doesn't matter if I moved across the street. Like I, I feel like, something new. I feel like I need yeah. to do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. But you get used to those patterns and that certainly happened to me, but it was a tough adjustment. Like stability was hard for me to get used to. Summers off and wanting to move every two years. It's interesting. Yeah. We yeah. come across that too often. We rented. Uh, we rented everywhere we played. I always maintained a home here mm-hmm. uh, in in Minnesota, but rented everywhere else. I grew up. My parents were divorced, and it was every other week one house at my mom, one week at my mother's house, one week at my father's house. So it's always moving. This is like literally always. So when, when I signed my deal, I bought a house here knowing that like, Hey, I've never like in my life had all my stuff in one place. Mm-hmm. I was going to do that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I kept the house and this was always like, 
that's where I was going to have like my stuff. Mm -hmm. There's stuff I don't care about, like your clothes and whatever, but like there's certain things that would be like, that's mine. Um, and that would be there. That's why there's always a house in Minnesota and then I'd always rent everywhere else. But yeah, so always on the go, always on the go. But I've lived here eight, almost 10 years now, longest ever by far. You ready to move? Oh man, yes. <laughs> Were you stoked to come back and play for Minnesota then? Just be able to kind of come home? Yeah, so when I got the opportunity to play here, um, it, I had to think about it too because it was exciting. Um, both my parents grew up in St. Paul. And the way the Twin Cities works is obviously you've got Minneapolis and St. Paul. And what St. Paul has is the Minnesota Wild. And it was it was cool and extremely exciting for me to be able to come home and play, like, not only like where I'm from, like Minnesota, but like where my family's from, like where we are from, you know, like the streets that they walked. That's where that's where all we play. Um, that was exciting. But I remember spending an hour or two uh, just quietly thinking, is it right? Um, don't get lost in emotion or these other things and in like this fantasy. Is it right? Did you have other opportunities where you kind of weighing between several different options? What yeah. you're going to do? Yeah. Um, the, the way it went was I turned down what would have been my biggest contract in Jersey. Cause I, I saw that they were, they're going to struggle and they weren't going to win. And I wasn't like a, like my contracts and my compensation was never going to equal like, like life changing generational money. Like some guys will. So I have this exercise that I would go through in my mind when I make decisions. It's like, what's more valuable uh, when you have a grandkid on your lap, what story are you going to want to tell? how you could squeeze a couple hundred thousand more out of this deal or that deal mm -hmm. or that you want. Mm -hmm. um, so I, the second half of my career was entirely chasing winning and cared kind of less about money. And I turned down my biggest deal in Jersey, um, guaranteed multi-year deal and signed a two-way deal in Minnesota, which means I could have been sent to the minors any day, but mm. it was like, um, they have an opportunity to win double down on myself that you can play, mm -hmm. um, but you gotta go play. And, um, that's how that one went. And again, that's where it's like, is this right? You know, am I getting lost in fantasies? Um, I mean, it, it all ends up, it all ends up working out great. It didn't win, which sucks, but yeah, it all worked out. Nice. I love that. I'm just envisioning the grandchild on your lap. You're telling the story and, just that wisdom and that insight of like why what was important yeah what was important to you in that moment that's that's a great story to tell your grandkid probably just as good as winning probably a better probably a better lesson for them than winning yeah i don't know winning's pretty sweet winning's pretty sweet <laughs> winning's pretty sweet yeah nice well we're coming up to i guess end of time i blocked off here is there any parting words or anything we didn't touch on that you really wanted to cover yeah no so uh, hopefully i didn't get like too philosophical with you guys on stuff or something but i uh, appreciate it taking the time i don't know if it's possible to get oh, too yeah, philosophical we're deep in the philosophy yeah. side of things but no it's really cool to hear like i said a, just a a different unique perspective uh from the world of sport and, and being in that triangle and that you know at the peak there's a lot of correlations though Absolutely. a lot more than i expected <clears throat> not knowing the sports world crazy i mean i feel like there's a lot of correlations yeah yeah 
Yeah. I, I love how you use hockey analogies to convey life lessons. I mean, that's just super cool. And I, I here I probably do the same, like business lessons, trying to convey like, mm-hmm. some life lessons to my kids. Mm-hmm. So lens you look through, you, you, you learn through your whole life, like that's going to be the easiest way to convey to other people for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, this is awesome. And thanks for hosting too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for inviting yeah. us over. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Really appreciate it. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Leading to Legacy podcast on your favorite platform. And don't forget to share the show with friends, family, and colleagues who might benefit from the wisdom and insights shared by our incredible guests. Until next time, remember that in-person transfer of wisdom, knowledge, and experience is not guaranteed. The timing may not ever feel right. The stars may never align to share that valuable insight. The time has come to do the work to ensure that what you've learned in all of your years on this planet is distilled and packaged for the benefit of the next generation. It's going to be hard, but a great life is built by doing hard things. This may be the most important thing you ever do, and the time to begin is now. 